Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps Doctor Who. Today we are on Season 1, Episode 1, Rose. Now, of course, for a brief background, so this, of course, as you can gather from us starting with this episode, uh, we're only covering the 2005 and on new revival of Doctor Who. Uh, we will be ending at the end of Peter Capaldi's run at the end of season 10, but that's a long way off. We'll worry about that when we get there, of course. Uh, so, of course, in background, kind of just logistically, uh, this was the first television episode of Doctor Who uh, since Survival, the end of season 26, uh, which aired back in 89. So it had been, you know, 16 years roughly since Doctor Who had aired on TV, except for the 96 movie. Uh, and as such, uh, as basically this was an immediate success uh, on the BBC as being the pretty much highest viewed episode of Doctor Who that had ever aired, that point just shy of 11 million viewers on the bbc uh besting season 12's uh premiere robot uh, which is tom baker's start as the fourth doctor uh and is also the third highest rated series opener uh second only to destiny of the daleks the season 17 opener uh, and then also The Woman Who Fell to Earth, the season uh, 11 of the new run, Jodie Whittaker's debut. Uh, so, that's pretty much it. Uh, though also, this is also the first time in Doctor Who that there had ever been a single episode story arc. Every time before this, it was multiple episodes for one story arc. This started the format that will be held through throughout this entire run of single episode, 45-minute arcs. For the most part, obviously, there's some that are two-episode arcs and whatnot. And we do have minor arcs that take over the whole season uh, coming in later. Uh, this episode also, I guess I can do this now since presumably you've already seen this episode if you're listening to this, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, so this has been, this is the first time, going back to the original series, uh, that the Autons have been on the show since 1971. Uh, so a long, long time since the Autons had been used okay. as a Doctor Who foe. Uh, and then it, will, it also introduces some other stuff that had never been done before that we will get into later after I recap the plot of this episode for us. Uh, so, we'll get on with that now as to what actually transpires in this installment of Doctor Who. So firstly, as they like to do whenever we get a new Doctor Regeneration plus a new companion at the same time, as we will learn in future seasons, uh, they like to start uh, the show with the companion. They don't start us with the Doctor. They start us off with the companion. They also do this uh, in season 11 to introduce Jodie Whittaker. We start with the companions of that season. Uh, so we start with Rose Tyler, who's in bed. She wakes up, gets ready for work, kisses her mother Jackie goodbye. We meet Rose and Jackie Tyler here 
Uh, both pretty major characters for the next two seasons. Rose much more so than Jackie, but both important for the next two seasons. Uh, she takes the bus to Henrik's, the department store where she works. Uh, then time goes by, and in the evening, uh, the store is nearing closing. She's about to walk home when she's stopped by a security guard who's holding the lottery winnings for Wilson, the chief electrician. So Rose goes down to the basement to find Wilson, but can't find him anywhere. So she enters a storage room uh, to see if he's in there getting, you know, wires or whatnot, you know. Uh, and is disturbed to see a group of moving shop window mannequins soon surround her and raise their arms in an attempt to kill her. Uh, but a man quickly takes hold of her hand and tells her to run. Uh, she quickly obliges. They both run to an elevator while being pursued by the mannequins. Uh, before the doors can close, one of the mannequins reaches for them. The man quickly pulls its arm off before it can do any harm. On the way up, he informs Rose that Wilson is dead for sure at this point. Uh, and when they arrive at the ground level, uh, he holds up a bomb, tells Rose that he plans to destroy a relay device to stop these creatures. He offers a quick introduction. He is the doctor. Tells her to run for her life. Uh, Rose heeds the advice, runs them from the vicinity, carrying the huge the plastic arm with her. It's not really that big. Uh, once she's at a safe distance, she watches in shock as Hendrix explodes in a huge ball of flame. She then flees away past a strange blue box just sitting out on the sidewalk. What's that doing here? I don't know. We'll get back to that later. Uh, she returns home, and her boyfriend, Mickey Smith, we meet another important character for the next two seasons, well, really a little bit more than that, too, with Mickey, uh, comes in to check that she is all right. Uh, he eventually leaves to go watch football, that being European football, uh, and is asked to take the arm with him. He throws it into one of the bins outside. Uh, the next morning... Rose awakens before realizing, oh yeah, I don't have to go to work today. The, the place blew up. I guess I'm kind of fine to stay in bed. Uh, and when walking around the house, she suddenly hears a scratching noise from the cat flap. And she assumes that her mother hasn't screwed it shut. And it's likely a stray cat that has wandered into the house. Um, she opens it up to find the doctor who tells her that he's been tracing the signal in the plastic arm. Rose invites him in, and while she's making coffee, he explores the room, looks in the mirror, and is stunned by the size of his ears uh, to let us, as the, uh, the audience in the know, who knows how the doctor works, uh, but new viewers would not really have any clue what to take from this sequence, I presume, is that he's very recently regenerated, uh, is what those of us in the know would take from this sequence. Uh, um, he peers behind the sofa and is attacked by the arm. Rose notices the strangulation, ignores it, thinking it to be a jest. Uh, that is, until it lets go and flies towards her. Thankfully, the doctor manages to deactivate the arm with his sonic screwdriver, though not after much damage has occurred. Uh, he throws the piece at her and hastily rushes out. Uh, Rose runs down the stairs to chase after him, demanding to know what is going on at this time. And he tells her that the living plastic is here to start a war that would overthrow and destroy the human race so they can claim the Earth as their arm. 
He then departs in a mysterious blue box in the car park, ordering her to forget about him. Rose turns away uh, for a second, and when she looks back, both he and the box are gone. Uh, Rose cannot just shake this figure from her mind and decides to use Mickey's computer. She tries different keywords on a Google uh, equivalent titled searchwise.net. Uh -huh. um, she first searches doctor, which just gives her medical doctors, and then doctor living plastic, which returns art installments and whatnot, eventually settling on Dr. Blue Box. Uh, she follows a link to whoisdoctorwho.co.uk, a website owned by a conspiracy theorist named Clive. Uh, Mickey drives her to the man's house where she is invited in by his son. Out in his shed, Clive shows her images from many points in Earth's past, including the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the sinking of the Titanic, and the explosion of Krakatoa. And all the pictures he shows her feature the doctor in his current incarnation, importantly there. Uh, he goes through the facts. The doctor is a legend woven throughout history. When disaster comes, he's there. Uh, Clive states that he believes the doctor is an immortal alien. He tells her that he is dangerous. has only one constant companion, death. Now, this sequence introduces us very, very early, obviously, first episode, to a very interesting concept that will be revisited a lot in the future of the show here. This idea that the Doctor is not, not is to everyone, not a, you know, heroic, noble figure that to certain people he's a murderous vigilante, basically, uh, which is an idea that will be explored again later uh, on in the show. Uh, meanwhile, Mickey's sitting out in his car, keeping an eye on the house to make sure Clive's not going to murder Rose uh, when he gets distracted by a bin wheeling forward on its own. Uh, he gets out of the car, opens it, uh, expects to see someone playing a joke. He surprisingly finds it completely empty. And then in what you can only describe as top quality CG animation for 2005 TV, uh, attempts to close the lid and finds that it is stuck to his hands. The plastic merely stretches as he attempts to pull away, and after a few attempts at breaking free, the bin tosses him into the air, swallows him whole. His whole, him whole. <clears throat> Sometime later, Rose returns to the car, convinced that she's wasted her time. This man is just a conspiracy theorist who's completely insane. Uh, they decide to go out for pizza, but what she doesn't realize is that her Mickey has been swapped, replaced by a shiny plastic duplicate. Uh, the two arrive at the restaurant, and Plastic Mickey begins to grill Rose about the doctor. Uh, Rose is disturbed by Mickey's speech patterns, speaking as if he is somehow malfunctioning. They're interrupted twice by the offer of champagne uh, from a waiter. Mickey finally looks up only to find that the doctor is the waiter, uh, who fires the cork at Mickey's forehead, but molds into his plastic skull and makes its way down to his mouth where he spits it out. His hands morph into paddles and he begins attacking all those around. There's a brief struggle until the doctor pulls his head off, but it simply tells him not to expect it to stop him, causing a neighboring man to scream in horror here. 
Uh, Rose hits the fire alarm while the others evacuate. The Doctor and Rose are chased out of the building by a now headless Mickey who flips over tables in the process. Escape to the back courtyard and the Doctor enters his little blue box. With nowhere to go, Rose follows him inside at the last second. The second she enters, though, she rushes back outside, believing she has gone mad, as the inside is bigger than the outside. Uh, the doctor explains that his blue box is called the TARDIS. Both it and he are alien in Rose to Rose. Uh, though Rose is convinced that the headless dummy will follow them inside, the doctor reassures her by stating that the assembled hordes of Genghis Khan cannot get through those doors as they have tried to do so before. Uh, the doctor wires Mickey's head into the console. Rose wonders if the real Mickey is dead. The doctor didn't really even consider this as to why he has not thought of this. We'll uh, get to that later. Uh, the couple's conversations quickly cut short when Rose points out that the head is melting. Uh, the Doctor had hoped to use it to track down the nesting consciousness, the entity controlling these autons. Uh, he still manages to follow a trace of the signal, but the head is completely melted before they can find the precise location of the consciousness. They land somewhere nearby their destination on the edge of the River Thames, uh, and Rose is shocked to learn that they have moved from their previous location. Uh, the Doctor quickly explains that he needs to find a transmitter of some kind, very big, very round. He figures it must be completely invisible, uh, but Rose identifies it instantly, the London Eye, which would be the perfect transmitter for the nesting. The two run together across Westminster Bridge, and Rose quickly finds an entrance to an underground base beneath the eye. Rose immediately notices Mickey when they enter and runs down to him. The doctor rolls his eyes at this. Uh, the doctor tries to reason with the nesting, uh, even invoking the Shadow Proclamation, which we'll get to later. Uh, but the Consciousness has two of its Autons capture him when it detects the presence of the TARDIS, which it identifies as terrifying, terrifyingly superior technology. They discover a vial of anti-plastic in his pocket, which he intended to use only as a last resort. Uh, the Nestine confronts the Doctor about its lost planet, and the Doctor, after being identified as a Time Lord, responds that, I couldn't save your world. I couldn't save any of them, which we'll also get back to later. Uh, terrified, the Consciousness decides to start the invasion ahead of schedule. Uh, Rose calls her mother to get her to go home to safety. Jackie doesn't really uh, pay any attention, though, and continues into the Queen's Arcade Mall for a spot of late-night shopping. Much to her surprise, the shop window dummies come to life, breaking through the windows as the bemused shoppers stare at them. We'll see this sequence again a few other times in different situations here. Uh, Clive, out for shopping as well, uh, remarks that everything he had read about was true, is confronted by an auton who detaches its hand, shoots him dead in front of his wife and son. Panic ensues as the autons begin blasting and shoppers scatter in all directions. Uh, below the London Eye, Rose decides to take some initiative. She breaks free one of the chains on the wall with an axe and swings down to the autons, both freeing the doctor and pushing the autons, along with the anti-plastic into the vat containing the nesting consciousness. Uh, the vial leaks and the nesting consciousness dies in pain. 
Back in the mall, Jackie runs outside to behold utter chaos. Autons are everywhere. Bodies litter the ground. People run in all directions. And a double-decker bus at the end of the street has crashed into a post box and burst into flames. A black cab goes past, honking its horn, only to get its rear windscreen shattered by a bullet. Jackie takes cover behind a car as three bride autons crash through the window behind her. Suddenly, when they are about to shoot her dead, the transmitter shuts down, and all of the autons return to lifeless mannequins once again. Underneath the eye, the nesting's base begins to collapse and explode. Uh, the Doctor, Mickey, and Rose all board the TARDIS and just in time escape from a huge explosion. Uh, with the Earth saved, the Doctor suggests that Rose join him on his adventures. He can go anywhere in the whole universe, although Mickey is not invited to come along. Uh, Rose, much to the Doctor's disappointment, refuses. Uh, he bids her farewell and leaves. Rose almost instantly regrets her decision, but carries on getting a terrified Mickey back home. As she leaves, though, uh, the TARDIS reappears in front of her. The Doctor emerges to tell Rose that the TARDIS also functions as a time machine. Uh, without much thought, uh, she kisses Mickey goodbye and runs straight into the TARDIS to start her adventures through all of time and space. So, that is basically everything that transpires in this episode. Uh, so, uh, you have anything to add or questions at this point uh, for me to attempt to answer for you here? Well, I'll add a few things maybe. I don't really have okay. any questions necessarily, but um, just some things I've found out in my research of the episode. Okay. Um, the site that... Uh, she found on the web uh, on the search engine mm -hmm. uh, is an actual website and it's actually maintained by the BBC's Doctor Who web team I see and I just brought it up today that right now and it's actually still alive and going good or well, I don't know if it's going good but right it is still out there you can still access it um, so that I thought that was pretty interesting that Clive you at like Clive's website there okay um you know TARDIS okay. yes you know that's one of those things I never time and relative dimension in space yes mm -hmm. um now in the old series apparently they used dimensions in space with the plural okay and he used it as the singular yes so dimension in space. So uh -huh. changed it just a hair, but um. well, that is largely because I, I can't speak to the original series because I haven't really watched very much of it. But uh, in this one, that would largely be because they don't travel into like into separate dimensions. They do address the fact that separate dimensions do exist, and those will be key parts of okay. later stories. But the TARDIS can't ever go into them, is how they make it work in this this series. This so one. I assume that would be the reason for the change. Okay. There, that minor change there, yes. Um, apparently, um, this is also the first episode of the entire series that they actually use the word gay. Uh, 
the first explicit um, reference to homosexuality. Uh, I don't know if that's has nothing important, but um, apparently that was the first use they've ever used on that one. Well, in, since in it series. ended in '89 originally, that would that would track. Uh, now my I had like two two or three no notices for me. Okay. Uh, and maybe I wasn't watching that close enough or something, but my first one was when uh, the boyfriend went into the trash can and came back out and uh -huh. was acting strange at the diner or even in the car. He looked totally different to me. I mean, um, I was like, holy cow, this is a... I mean, he's darker brown, he's... Uh, Right, I mean, notice. I, uh, wow, I thought, okay, maybe you wouldn't notice because you're, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and you may not notice, but wow, I thought it was a big difference. Um, I don't, I didn't think it was a huge difference. Um, you know, yeah, when he was replaced, he obviously looks faker because that's the point, but. Yes. Also, Rose is kind of preoccupied with the whole with uh, Doctor with Clark, with probably. Doc with the doctor and with her interactions with Clive, so she's not too focused on yes. how does Mickey physically appear at this moment. So that know, might be it too. It would be a quite a ways down her priority list at that point, I would think. That could be. Uh, my next one would be the yeah, your great CG work. Yeah, I mean, it's 2005 TV and... Uh, especially with the trash can one. Mm -hmm. That was <laughs> yeah. really sad. And I know at one point he twist around. And when you twist around, the, 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 the things attached to his hands should have been twisted too, and they weren't. So it was like, we got to make this easy stuff. All right. Uh, We've got a lot more CGI, CG work to do, so, uh, I mean, apparently they did a lot of CG work in at least the first two episodes, probably in a lot of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that one was probably low priority. Not as, uh, I mean, obviously because this is season one, so they didn't quite know how well this series would work, which is also why... Eccleston's only here for one season because ah. they were like, well, we don't know if this is going to work, so we're not even going to really sign you on for more than one season because we don't okay. even know if we'll even get a second season. That's true, but here I'm reading mm -hmm. that just based on the strength of that first episode's ratings, mm -hmm. based on it alone, they were commissioned for a Christmas special and a second season. Right. So they knew pretty early that they were going to do a second season. Uh, now, my one thing here, I know this is going to be, you know, the doctor's supposed to be smart and all, I, I thought. Um, uh, it, it depends on the incarnation, but... You know, he's kind of goofy, or he seems goofy to me. Um, Eccleston's definitely, Eccleston tries to be a bit more fun. Uh, then David Tennant, who we'll get into next season, um, but he does go for a bit more fun than usual. It's not quite Matt Smith levels of like trying to be super goofy, but he does go for fun a bit more than 
traditional doctors go for and yeah Eccleston does also seem to have that tries to portray him as this like pre-natural like super intelligent guy which is a little well you know it's it's fine yeah the part I'm gonna bring up here uh, he was explaining to Rose mm-hmm what he had to find in in uh, London right a big round thing mm-hmm. you know super round that would be a perfect dip you know, and that mm-hmm. big Ferris wheel's right behind him. And it's right. Like, really? <laughs> of course, he never really did turn around, I guess, to see it. But Right. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. That <laughs> Okay, it's right there, buddy. Yeah, well. I know it's supposed to be funny, but um, that was all my stuff, really. Okay. I thought it was a good start. Alrighty. Well, we obviously, in this episode, because it's the first of the series, uh, we're introduced to a lot of things uh, throughout this whole se- this episode. It'll be very important mainstays for basically the whole series. Of course, the idea of the Doctor, of course, very uh, important to the whole series, obviously. Uh, the TARDIS, the sonic screwdriver. Uh, the TARDIS whoosh noise, obviously, we hear for the first time in this episode. And then we get our first uh, utterance from a companion or non, you know, non-time lord character, essentially of that the TARDIS is bigger on the inside, which we'll hear a lot of throughout the series. Uh, also importantly in this episode, uh, this is the first Russell T Davies written episode, which will there will be a lot of those throughout the first four seasons, of course. Uh, we meet Rose Tyler, her mother Jackie, and her boyfriend Mickey Smith. All three characters. Will be important for the next two seasons in varying degrees, of course. Uh, we meet the Autons in this episode, as well as the Nesting Consciousness, though we meet it later. Uh, both of these will come back uh, later in different ways. Uh, now, uh, also, okay, so we get Christopher Eccleston's portrayal of the Doctor. Now, He's very, he's highly intelligent, able to identify many things on sight alone from the, you know, the magazine gag thing in the apartment, right? Uh, He's also, though, as we learn throughout this episode, and especially next episode, he's very emotionally cold and unsympathetic a lot of the time to Rose, or really to anyone, uh, and they never really explain why. Uh, which is where I kind of get to like, okay, when I'm watching this back now, after I know everything that comes in the next 10 seasons of the show, I know why he's like this, but I'm also like, did Russell T. Davies intend this? Because everything that we eventually get as to why Eccleston is like this as the doctor is all Moffat shows, all Moffat episodes that establish this stuff. Mm. So it's, how much of this was intended when this was initially wrote to have this big giant arc later on in the series, like five, six years later, that'll establish everything about why Christopher Eccleston, Ninth Doctor, is the way he is, or was it just kind of, this is how Eccleston portrayed him, and then Moffat went back and was like, oh yeah, I remember they made reference to some things, I could use that for this. 
Uh, I don't obviously have an answer to that question, but I think it's an interesting one to look at in retrospective how much of what comes later. A lot of it is laid out here in this episode, actually, which is very fascinating. Uh, but how much of it was intentionally done and how much of it was just kind of a product of Eccleston's portrayal and stuff being kind of left open and vague as to this doctor's history. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the doctor also, though, he does clearly establish that he was freshly regenerated with that ears gag in Rose's apartment, which this is also uh, one thing I could have mentioned at the start, but I saved till now. Uh, so this is the only time, basically, in the entire history of the show that the regeneration of the Doctor is not shown. So we don't know how the Doctor got from Paul McGann as the 8th Doctor in the movie in 96 to Christopher Eccleston here as the ninth Doctor. We're not shown that in this episode, which is very unusual. Normally they establish how or why. Uh, we do learn uh, how this portrayal of the Doctor, how this iteration came to be uh, much, much later. In like season seven, we learn about this stuff. So that's also very unusual, but is clearly established here that he's freshly regenerated, which is brings some questions uh, as to uh, some later stuff in this actual episode. Uh, he also establishes that he is a long way away from home and alone. He also mentions that a war is going on, uh, and uh, we, can, we see that he's highly sensitive to vibrations of all sorts in this episode. Uh, this episode also introduces a core idea of a later uh, Season 1 episode, uh, the idea of a group of people who have had past encounters with the Doctor are attempting to track him down. This will be an important core principle of a later episode. It also introduces the idea that the Doctor can save people involved with major tragedies of history with that Titanic story where the Doctor stopped a family from going on the ship. Now, Clive took the wrong message from this thinking that uh, the Doctor had caused the Titanic to sink. Uh, but we know that's not quite exactly what happened here. The Doctor saves his family from going on to the Titanic. Uh, so it does kind of establish that the Doctor can change minor things about major events in history, which will come up in a big way uh, in a few seasons. Uh, it also introduces the idea that to some people or entire races, potentially, uh, that the Doctor is actually a villain, an omen of death, a dangerous vigilante. Uh, you know, with Clive <laughs> believing all this about the Doctor, this will come back later, too. Yeah. Um, Clive has correctly surmised, more or less, that the Doctor is an alien and also immortal, is basically correct, um, not super correct, but basically correct. Uh, we'll get into that later episodes. Um, so, this was another thing I was shocked to see happened in the first episode. So, Mickey being replaced by an Auton made out of living plastic. Uh, so, this comes back later. It does not involve Mickey or Rose Tyler at all, but this thing happening 
will come back majorly uh, in in a while in like season six. This will come back majorly in a way that I really was confounded as to it happening in this episode and being established here that this can't happen was very wild. Uh, we meet the nesting consciousness and the idea of a living plastic entity. Both things will come back later in different ways. Uh, we're introduced to the idea that the doctor does not kill without warning unless forced to. Very important for him as a character. Uh, we hear about the Shadow Proclamation. Now, the Shadow Proclamation uh, was created in this episode. This is the first time they'd ever been referenced. Uh, so the Doctor essentially references the Shadow Proclamation as if it's some sort of, like, space government or something like that. Uh, as he tells, uh, let's see, he tells them... Uh, he tells the Nestine consciousness uh, that, uh, let me see here if I can find it, uh, uh, to uh, on Convention 15 of the Shadow Proclamation uh, to do something, I forget the exact wordage, but it's something about, according to Convention 15 of the Shadow Proclamation, you must do this or whatever, right? So the Shadow Proclamation, obviously I can't tell you a ton because we'll learn more about them later, but... Uh, Essentially, the way they're referenced in this episode, there's some sort of, like, space government agency or, like, a police-type thing that establishes all of these kind of rules that every uh, civilization is supposed to follow and whatnot. Uh, we'll get into them more later. Uh, we also, for the first time, hear this idea that the Earth is a relatively new civilization in the grand scheme of the universe, uh, which will come up a lot. Um, for the first time, obviously, uh, the TARDIS is kidnapped by a foe of the Doctor. Surprisingly, this happens uh, more often than you would think. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, it does. Yes. So, uh, okay, we'll, okay. Uh, so the Doctor's name is a Time Lord for the first time. Uh, now, other things that happen in this episode that are very interesting. So I already mentioned that uh, sequence with the shop displays and the mannequins breaking through the glass to attack people. This'll, this exact sequence will happen a couple more times with different foes later. Um, okay, so the Doctor in this episode refers to the fact that he fought in a war and was unable to save any of the planets involved. Now... Um, is he technically lying about this? No, he was unable to save any of the planets involved in this war, uh, which we'll learn um, next episode uh, is uh, the, the Time War, the Great Time War. Uh, but, uh, you know, he is technically telling the truth about his role in the war here. And he fought in and was able to save any of the planets. I can't really tell you a lot because then we don't have to watch like two seasons. But, um, okay. <laughs> uh, or at least parts of two seasons. Uh, so we'll learn a lot more about the truth behind this later. And all I can really say is the Doctor is, for obvious reasons, uh, not quite telling the whole truth about uh, his role in this war and what exactly transpired. Uh, and then lastly, the Doctor invites Rose to join him on adventures. And this begins the tradition of basically the first human to help the Doctor in any way he invites to go on his adventures with him. 
That pretty much happens every single time the doctor is in need of a new person to travel with him. Whoever helps him the first time gets to be the new adventurer with him, basically. That's just how it always goes. It's really strange, but that's what they always do. Uh. Um, okay, so then I thought I would keep track of some of this stuff. So here's some of the past, the past events that the doctor was supposedly involved with. Uh, so there's mention to political diaries, uh, which we I could say we learn uh, about why he's in political diaries later because we kind of do, uh, but you know there's no real exact explanation given for that one. Legends. He's involved with some legends. Okay, sure, we learn about that. Why not? Ghost stories. Yeah, we learn a lot about ghost stories, especially um, later in this season. Uh, the JFK assassination, we never, we haven't seen this yet, uh, so I don't think we ever will for various reasons. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do that episode, but after 11, who knows? Um, the Titanic sinking, another one we've not ever seen him be involved with, actually. Uh, the 1883 Krakatoa explosion, another one we haven't seen. Uh, and then Genghis Khan, another one we have yet to see so those are the events that the doctor's been involved with on earth that uh we have kind of seen with like political diaries ghost stories legends right we've seen him involved with these things throughout the series uh those other specific events we really have not uh to this point probably won't either because a couple of them would be quite weird uh to have him do anything involved with it uh but Nonetheless, I thought I would kind of keep track of that stuff. So, uh, you have anything to add here? Um, no, don't no. think so. No. All right, then. That'll do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps, Doctor Who. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until that next episode, goodbye.